0: Hello and welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. This is Todd Norwood here with my co-host Jason Hammond. Today we're going to jump into the second episode of our discussion about supplements.
1: This is the juicy, uh, these are the supplements you should be taking. So uh, get your notepads out, uh, get your Amazon uh, cart
0: going. <laughs> <laughs> or or at least, if not taking it, at least uh, giving some consideration to. Sure. Um, so
1: we want to talk about the ones that... You know, there's some literature on and uh, if we didn't talk about it, we aren't saying it doesn't work. But these are the ones these are sort of the the big ticket items.
0: Yeah, the, the ones that have the strongest and best research to support them. Um, and, you know, and I think also when I say strongest, and I also like good results, but good results that have been replicated many times over uh, is, a, you know, a good a good thing. I think as we talked about last time, you can find one site tell you what you want about any supplement but can you find many that tell you what you want to hear about a given supplement? And those are the things that we're going to talk about today. All right. So, all right. So I, you know, I mentioned last time we referenced this paper, uh, an IOC consensus statement about dietary supplementation for high performance athletes. So I'm going to go through just the categories that they've laid out here. I think they make sense. um, and sort of work through those as we talk about, uh, supplements and your nutrition. So, uh, first thing category they have is, uh, micronutrients that often require supplementation in athletes. Um, so there's just a couple here. Um, they're they're common things. I think these are vitamins and minerals that everyone's heard of. So number one here is vitamin D. Um, a lot of times, this is a reference to athletes that train indoors a lot. Because um, they're not getting out in the sun, they're not getting the exposure to the, the UV rays to help uh, create vitamin D naturally. So they actually need to take vitamin D. So your court athletes, basketball or gymnastics, uh, swimming if you're indoors, um, I mean I, any any of the indoor sports are going to need this more often. However, you may depending on where you are and when you train. Like I train in the morning a lot before the sun's up, so I don't get a ton of sun exposure when I'm biking. Uh, if you were to Run in the sun. You're more li- or run in the sun. You're more likely to get it. Although I have seen studies of marathon runners who train a ton outside and are still relatively low in vitamin D.
1: And I think uh, the other thing that I read about vitamin D is um, if you have low vitamin D, you have higher all cause mortality. So it's generically uh, maybe just a good supplement for you know if you want to you know keep uh, keep staying alive.
0: Yeah, and I think they they recently revised in the last few years the upper intake for vitamin D. Um and it was not we what we had set before was quite a bit lower than what they revised it to. I don't remember the exact numbers in international units, but the I think the basic consensus now is well, it's not you know taking a, a modest supplement. Um here here they reference, you know, 800 international units up to 2000 um is is not harmful in any way.
1: Yeah, I for, would recommend uh, 1000 to 2000.
0: So um, and then, like, there are certain protocols where you do much higher doses. But, you know, if you're doing it on a regular basis, the 1 to 2,000 um, is proven to be pretty safe. Yep. Um, so next next thing, I think you have some some comments on this one. I, I think we may have brought this one up on prior uh, podcasts. But iron um, can be low. Uh, this one's, you know, particularly you see in female athletes um, is, is likely to be lower. But it uh, can also affect male athletes. Um, runners, there's this thing called foot strike hemolysis. The hypothesis is that as you're striking the ground with your foot, it causes the blood cells to rupture, and then you, you lose iron um, hmm. from the red blood cells from the repeated foot strikes on the ground. But um, that's one way you can end up with lower iron I also stores. read
1: that, um, like, I feel like this is wrong, but I feel like I read somewhere that you also lose a little bit of iron when you sweat, Um on the I think the microgram level, but sure, you know, as sense. you as you continue to sweat, and if yeah. you are an endurance athlete, um, how many liters come out? You do start to lose your iron stores. And um, the other thing about iron that's really important is uh, it's the center of the red blood cell. It's mm-hmm. what the oxygen binds to in order to move uh, throughout your body. So. If you're training, a big part of endurance training stimulus is to get more red blood cells so you can transport more oxygen. Mm -hmm. So your body needs the pre-factors for this uh, creation of new red blood cells. And iron is usually the biggest limiter. There are two other, um, I think it's uh, thiamine and B12 are um, two other important nutrients, but those are both B vitamins. So if you eat even a modest amount of bread, uh, you'll get all the B vitamins you need. So, uh, yeah, iron is probably the limiter in your ability to produce red blood cells. It's either iron or the amount of training you do.
0: Well, fair enough. Or your exposure to altitude relative. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they, they mentioned that altitude training and if it makes you feel better, they do mention uh, sweat life losses in, okay. this, in this research paper here. So you are, you are spot on. Nice. Um, okay and then calcium is the third one they say is a common common supplement need uh, okay. for endurance athletes um you know particularly they say you know 1500 milligrams a day and you know they're they're thinking more in this case like um any athletes that may have like eating disorders or they're under fueling mm-hmm. they're physically just not getting adequate calcium in their diet so,
1: yeah there yeah. Al- are also some diets um like if you uh, don't really respond well to cheese or dairy, you could be at higher risk for having calcium issues. The other thing about calcium is it, it is an electrolyte. So if you are uh, a big sweater, you will also be exposed to potentially low calcium levels.
0: And it, it does actually play a role in the uh, contraction of the muscle as well. So that's one thing to consider. And it's hard to, it's hard to track because so much of it's stored in our bone. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go on to the things that we know to directly improve your performance, and okay. the, these are the these are the ones that have the best evidence. So strong, good or strong evidence for these. Um, so your cup of coffee, caffeine, is one of the ones that's well well known to be. Todd, a you're really into answer.
1: you're really into the caffeine, huh?
0: I'm I'm a big coffee fan, so. Yeah. Um, but think like, also, it, there's good there's good evidence for it. It gets used in not just athletic performance, right? I mean, militaries use it uh, for for troop performance. It certainly improves your uh, your reaction time. Um, so. Yeah, it's easy enough to take. It's readily available. It's in your sports gels. It's yeah. It's it's all over the place. So
1: yeah, I think caffeine's good. Um, You you do have to be careful not to overdo it. If you're not a caffeine drinker, don't buy a large Starbucks before your race, um, because you could get really anxious, really jittery. I also think that with dehydration, the risks with caffeine increase. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes, if you finish a ride and it's a really hot ride, and you had too much caffeine, um, you can get really uh, anxious and jittery after your ride. So you have to be careful.
0: Yeah, and it is a diuretic, so it's it's going to make you more likely to urinate. Yeah. Um, and so the the protocol here they're talking about is between three to six milligrams of caffeine per kilo body weight. Um, so. If you're 70 kilos, you're talking about anywhere between 210 and 420 milligrams. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it's like a normal cup of coffee is on the order of 200.
1: So a six ounce cup is 100 milligrams. So for yeah, what no, you no.
0: typically drink is.
1: Yeah. Like a tw- 12, like 12 a mug, the, yeah. like a stereotypical mug is 12 to 16 yep. ounces. So right in 200, 250 land. And um, if you do get. Uh, something like, so one tradition that I have is on these far away road races is to stop at a Starbucks when they open. So the race starts at 8am, you leave at 4am, you know, to get there by seven and at six or five, whenever the Starbucks opens, I would always get a small, you know, whatever darkest roast they had and uh, make it as bitter as possible. And that's how you knew you got your two or 300 milligrams.
0: Yeah. And, and caffeine is actually one of the things that makes it bitter. Uh, caffeine like if you mm. just had isolated caffeine it would be bitter oh. um yeah there, there, there you go Tri- uh, <laughs> <Free>. trivia trivia <laughs> yeah. for you there okay so that's that's caffeine um creatine is another one on the list that has really solid evidence now this is more about short-term performance right these are so sort of like if, if you're gonna do sprints then creatine makes sense it's about power and short-term performance it's about um, power sports more so. So maybe less appropriate for most of the disciplines of cycling um, unless maybe you're using it uh, to promote lean mass gains during your off-season, perhaps with some weightlifting.
1: Right. So what does creatine do exactly?
0: So one, creatine is part of your really short-term your creatine phosphate energy system. Okay. So basically when you're loading creatine, you're supplementing that system, right? So you're, you're enabling your body to do these you know, glycolytic processes more readily and produce, you can produce more power because that energy is more readily available. So, the, and it's like think about like carb loading, right? It's like you're, except you're loading a different system.
1: Right. So, there's three energy systems aerobic, anaerobic, and then um, creatine phosphate, which yep. is the 10 to 15 seconds. Super fast. Yeah. And um, just like carbohydrates give you all the precursors you need to maintain the aerobic engine or even the anaerobic engine, yep. the creatine. Uh, gives you the you know, the precursors you need to have a really strong uh, creatine phosphate engine.
0: Right, and so I think that another important fact is this has been, I've seen different um, conclusions on this, but generally speaking, the consensus here and other places I've seen is there's no harm to prolonged creatine supplementation. Um, some have said that maybe it can cause uh, some kidney issues if you take it for too long, um, but this this particular paper, Uh, So it's talks about four years of supplementation. Um, So no, no ill effects. So I don't know how, like what the circumstances were when some people were see it reporting uh, other, other results. But this one seems to say,
1: talk to me a little bit about the weight uh, gain from water weight uh, with creatine supplementation.
0: I don't know the exact percentage, um, but you know, I know it does tend to make people retain more water initially, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, if, or either you're looking at increasing power, short-term power a lot, you would probably net out with better power to weight ratio because your power would go up more than the water weight. And second, if you're looking at it as um, an enhancement for your off-season weight training, probably don't care about your power to weight ratio as much uh, acutely in that situation. And over the long term, as you would taper off of that, the hope would be that you maintain the strength gains and the, the lean muscle mass that you gained, and then you know, your, your water weight neutralizes uh, and balances out over the long term such that your, your net power to weight ratio across all
1: domains is better. Okay. So it's not really a concern other than for people uh, who weigh themselves every day and uh, get a little nervous when the scale goes up four or five pounds on the first day of creatine supplementation.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I think, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, if your weight goes up by a whole, like if your weight fluctuates a ton in a given day, it's not fat or muscle mass that changed. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's probably water and water can fluctuate. You know, if you go on a four hour ride and come back, I bet you're a couple pounds lighter. Uh, yeah. And then you'll, you know, check two hours later and I Bet you're close to what you started the day at.
1: Yeah, because you destroyed that burrito after your four-hour ride. That's and hopefully you
0: you had some water or something with it too. You had <laughs> yeah. some sort of fluid. Um, and we talked about this before too. That there's a lot of water and stuff we eat uh, that we don't really account for all the time. We're like, oh, I need to have 24 ounces. Well, yeah, but if you eat like, a watermelon's a perfect example. That's mostly water, or a cucumber, or iceberg yeah. lettuce. I mean, those things are mostly water. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. So I think this is one, this is a supplement you like, um, indirectly, but, uh, dietary nitrates. Yeah. So, uh, beet juice, right?
1: So dietary nitrates, uh, buffer, I, I actually don't know, but they, they improve it, submaximal in... aerobic engine work. Right. right.
0: And so I've also read it's sort of improving oxygen, um, efficiency of oxygen utilization. And it's like you're, you're improving your MPGs in your car, right? So you're getting more per unit. You're using your, you're using your oxygen better with the nitrates involved. Uh, and I believe, you know, the, uh, nitrous oxide, right. Is a blood vessel dilator. So, you know, you're, you're making all the pipes that your blood's flowing through, maybe a little bit wider. You're relaxing those blood vessels. So perhaps that, that also helps along the way. Um, and it, you know, I think we, we may have discussed this before, but there's both acute and chronic supplementation. So acute, um, I know there's a specific product, right? It's like you take a, a shot of this supplement before Yeah, you go out and race and that's one way to do it. Um, there's also taking like basically like loading protocols where you're drinking beet juice for several days up leading up to event to try to increase your your nitrates. And I know there's pretty good results also at altitude when you start to supplement. I think we, I think we talked about it on the altitude yep. uh, episode.
1: So I think I've only tried the acute loading of beet juice. And I, all I can say is uh, I think fresh beet juice actually works better, but it could just have been that I had more uh, nitrates, but I think it really makes tempo feel like endurance and when you're in a road race, I mean, part of that could be just like the, the excitement of the race makes you feel less pain. But I remember looking down at something that, uh, you know, I would do like a 30 or 40 minute interval at high tempo sweet spot. And I remember doing that in a race and sort of scratching my head. Well, this feels like, you know, 30 Watts less. And uh, once you get up the threshold, it still hurts, but, um, yeah, at, at these sub-threshold levels, So you look down and your your watts are just higher than than they, you know, than, than it feels like they should be, and, and that's the that's the fun part about BG I'd say.
0: Um. Yeah. I, so I've only done the chronic loading protocol, like the week long, and only for altitude events. Okay. Uh, and I, my experience is certainly positive. I feel like so altitude sort of the reverse, right? You typically look down at your watts, and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm working really hard and my power is quite low hmm oh right i'm at altitude so i think it you know it did not eliminate that effect by any stretch but i think it it reduced the fact like oh given my prior experiences at altitude that number is a little bit higher than i would have expected given the effort this is not as disappointing and therefore this is a good thing um i don't so chronic just just i mean, i don't know if you know this is the acute beat is loading but Chronic beet juice, or if you just eat a ton of beets, you will notice that your urine turns a little bit different color. Don't freak out. You don't have blood in your urine. Just remember you had beets.
1: Uh, so, acutely, I only had one, I only had it happen one time and. It was because I was really dehydrated, so I think it was like very concentrated. And I did, uh, I did actually jump a bit uh, when I saw it, and then uh, I had to bring myself back to my senses. But
0: it is super disconcerting, right? Like, what is wrong? Like, did I fall? No, I didn't crash. Like, what, what happened? my like? I no, I was internal? thinking
1: more like uh, like a horror movie, you know? Oh, like, okay. Uh, yeah. Then the you know the lights outside go dark, and uh, you know you hear scraping of fingernails and stuff but okay yeah that's, that's
0: one way i guess that's a, a background thing i was like oh geez what what's wrong with my internal organs why yeah. why am i peeing blood right now oh no i just ate a, you know had a bunch of beet juice of course that makes sense
1: it's always a more mundane uh, reason than you want it to be yeah or at least you you hope it is yeah in that
0: case um okay um beta alanine and it makes the makes the cut of you know things that directly pre- enhance your your performance um so this is uh intracellular buffering um so more like high intensity exercise so these are your like shorter shorter intervals or like your so
1: beta alanine is an amino acid correct
0: i believe so yes okay i'm, I'm actually beta-alanine one i am not as familiar with as the others on the list
1: so i think it's a it's but, either but al- alanine is an amino a, acid so i assume yeah. beta alanine it's a, a form of an amino of acid alanine, yeah. and um yeah it, it improves so track cyclists are big into uh, beta alanine mm-hmm. because it does i mean what kind of efforts are you doing on the track especially Short, in an,
0: like a pursuit or something like that yeah. yeah, endurance
1: trackies specifically are it's all your vo2 max all five minute four minute Three minute efforts and beta alanine has been shown. You need to chronically supplement with beta alanine, and it's a it's a few grams, I think, um, because it is amino acid. I mean, you can't uh, you can't really overdo it.
0: So officially, sixty five milligrams per kilo per day.
1: Okay, so. so you have a. We're not supposed to do math on podcasts.
0: No, but um, you see, so yeah, you don't want me to multiply that out. Like well, I can tell you what it is for a hundred kilo individual. <laughs>
1: okay. So, well, yeah, we're looking at three to five grams, I think, for a normal person. Then, right? uh, yeah, or, or you know, I, yeah, on that range. Yep. Yeah. Did I get a zero incorrect? No, no, uh, sixty-five milligrams. For, yeah, I got a, yeah, a zero. Wrong. Yeah. See, we're not supposed that's to do why, that's why math. That's why I don't do math. Yeah. So um, I I know that. Um, the protein powder I used in college when I was doing a lot of track cycling I was like a bit of a, a, a like a lifter a track cyclist a bit bulkier and um, I knew that the protein powder I used had beta alanine in it and I chose it specifically uh, because of the effects and I I did discontinue it for a while and I, I want to say I noticed a difference but of course my study is an N of 1 without very many um a lot of confounding factors. So um, my personal experience is, yeah, I think it's good, especially if you're the type of rider to do these. You know, my, my best efforts are bridging efforts. So it's right up my alley to be good at these two-minute efforts, three-minute efforts. So I think beta alanine, if you're that type of rider, will definitely benefit you.
0: And so I think this this last one and the uh, good evidence it works is probably the least expensive one because you can get it at any, any grocery store and it's probably like 99 cents for a pound which is baking soda, sodium bicarbonate. Uh, it's, a, it's a buffer. It's a lactic acid buffer. Um, and it's good, you know, the, the study here says 2% improvement, which, okay, mar- marginal improvement, um, you know, for like 60-second efforts. So again, it's like into this track realm. was like a lot of overlap with beta alanine. I would venture to guess that if you use both of these things together, you would not see a combined effect. They're kind of in a similar realm they're working on maybe slightly different, similar, similar mechanisms. Uh, I would, I would guess that, you know, using those two, there would not be a combined effect of those two. Uh, but 0.2 to 0.4 grams per kilo body weight. If you're doing it acutely, uh, anywhere from an hour, to two and a half hours before your effort. And the downside to baking soda, I think is well known. It can cause some GI distress. So
1: Specifically, running to the porta potties <laughs> five minutes before your TT start. It's right. it's also popular with time trialists, right?
0: Yep, yep.
1: So you try. I. Well, you're, you're
0: you're lowering your pH, right? So then, as you accumulate acid in the blood, you, yeah, you're less likely to have. I
1: think I remember one of my collegiate teammates ripping his skin suit from. Uh, from running to the bathroom too quickly before a race. And I don't, okay, fine. I don't know if it was baking soda related, but he was maybe the type to um, try different performance. But that grades. that is the
0: sort of <laughs> issue that you would have with baking soda.
1: So I, I remember would... weighing out the, I've never tried baking soda, but I remember weighing out the amount that I would need to ingest based on the formula. And it just, it was like a big pile of powder. And uh, that sort of uh, scares me. away. So
0: if you're, you know, 70 kilos, say you're talking about as 14 to 28 grams,
1: I think it was like a quarter cup.
0: So it's, it's, it's substantial amount of baking soda that you're, you're ingesting there. Um, Yeah. And it's an ounce. So I don't know, I don't know the density of baking soda, but it's an ounce. (laughs) So yeah, that's. And not then, trivial so
1: i guess you dissolve it in like 24 ounces of water and
0: yeah as much uh, yeah as much as to stomach it and it's doesn't taste good yeah. i'll tell you that much
1: so um but a if you want to win your
0: um two yeah, percent right <laughs> sometimes two percent is the difference between winning and losing or running to the bathroom too early right <laughs>
1: yeah not, well you know like you said the beta alanine and uh, baking soda have a lot of overlap it uh you have to weigh the cost costs and um benefits of maybe just picking a protein powder that has beta alanine in it versus um, trying to supplement with baking soda. That baking soda is a heck of a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: At the, at the end of the day. Um,
1: I think though uh, a protein with beta alanine in it isn't going to be significantly more expensive than just a protein powder. Um, it's just if the manufacturer decides to emphasize that amino acid.
0: Sure. Sure. All right. So this next category is um, things that may indirectly improve athletic performance and the way they've chosen to look at this is basically our exercise and immunity episode so really they're focusing on supplements that may improve immunity and by improve immunity they look specifically at the things that athletes care about which is upper respiratory tract infections at least that's how how we always measure uh, immunity in athletes or at least that's how it seems we always tend to measure it in the research Um, So some of these things we talked about earlier, so we'll sort of go lightly over those and then we may dig into some of the other ones we haven't touched on yet. So first one, vitamin D, where I talked about it, Um, moderate evidence that it reduces the risk of upper respiratory tract infections, um, particularly in the winter. So winter's coming up. You may already be taking vitamin D because you're not getting out and training, you're not exposed to the sun. You get a, an extra benefit here.
1: Yeah, I think vitamin D is like big on uh, on my list.
0: Um, next one, probiotics this is a fun topic. Uh, I think that, I think there's going to be a lot more research coming out in this area. We're going to be learning a lot more about this in the next three to five years. Uh, so pretty... probiotics
1: are um, like your what's in your yogurt, or in a pill form. So like you have uh, bacteria in your gut that helps eat the food that you eat and then it excretes stuff that you absorb. little symbiotic relationship there. Like you have a bunch of little friends and when uh, you...
0: and by a bunch you mean you know billions upon billions of them.
1: Like aren't there some speculations that there's like 10 times as many bacteria in your gut as cells in your body or something?
0: Yeah, there's a yeah there's many, many many.
1: And so probiotics are... Um, like a small portion of different strands of bacteria. And the goal is to ingest them and have them become the dominant form of bacteria.
0: Right. You're trying to shift the, the colonies of bacteria in your gut towards a, a balance that is more of the ones we want and fewer of the ones we don't want, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, and so
1: ba- these, these bacteria have a lot of, um, there's been studies that show like it affects your mood. It affects your ability to absorb nutrients. Like there's a lot of, uh, long-term uh, health benefits. body, body
0: composition, even for some, some strains, right? Like relative fat mass can be impacted by the, the a certain strain of bacteria or certain strains of the bacteria that are there.
1: And so, um, a lot of times the bacteria in your gut is dictated by your daily diet. And so, some of the there are claims that the the good bacteria feeds on fiber, uh-huh. um, and that's why you should have a lot of vegetables, lots of whole grains, and um, a lot of the bad bacteria um, really enjoy the simple sugars that yep. um, you eat and are in you know unhealthy food, as they say.
0: And which so this was an interesting point, though, right? Because what do we do when we go on a long bike ride? Just a whole bunch of simple sugars typically right and some obviously some complex carbohydrates but there's also a lot of you know a fair amount of simple sugar that goes into uh, sports drinks and gels and that stuff so we can get that quick hit of energy
1: yeah i mean uh i guess it's a whole nother you topic have a new, you have a new white paper right? uh, that you're suggesting to the to the national health um, organization
0: yeah I, I do i do think it's interesting I actually i think about that in, in two ways personally i do wonder about the impact of Yeah, like I've certainly read that, you know, if you're a healthy, active athlete, from, uh, you know, consuming more sugar isn't really a problem because you're going to have an appropriate insulin response. Your body knows how to do, you know, knows what to do with it. I also wonder about it from a dental health standpoint. Like, should we be brushing our teeth three times a day or something, you know, an extra time just because we're basically, you know, washing our mouths with sugar for four hours on a bike ride?
1: I was told by a dental hygienist that, um, (laughs) The amount of water you drink is also a big uh, factor in your dental health. So it, we could actually be um, really doing a good thing for our teeth by drinking that water bottle after, after a ride and you know sort of swishing around all the sugars and getting yeah. them out. So, so there you go. It's uh, it's yeah. Dental health is really complicated. So I'm another not sure, uh, another
0: another topic sure. for another day.
1: But so th- these, the whole goal of the probiotics is you put you ingest the good ones and hopefully they take root and they take over as the more dominant species and uh, then they hopefully the ones that the manufacturer picked are the ones that are going to benefit your immune system, your body composition, your mood, and all those things.
0: Yep. Exactly. And and you know move the dial as far as the overall uh, composition of the the population in your in your gut.
1: Yeah, so I mean, compared to the total amount of bacteria in your gut, the probiotic is you know one percent. No, not even. No, 1%, no, no, not know? even. <laughs> like a very very small amount, but it could be the catalyst that you know your your gut needs in order to start to reproduce. I mean, the bacteria that is surviving the best is going to reproduce
0: yeah so absolutely
1: that's why you need to feed the good bacteria the right food so they can proliferate
0: yep okay so vitamin c i think we've i think the research on vitamin c is fairly good i think everybody's like knows yeah if i feel sick i should have vitamin c i think Look, make sure you have enough in your diet
1: what are the dosage um recommendations
0: <laughs> wide um you know anywhere from 250 milligrams a day uh up to like linus Pauling type doses of a gramme a gram a day, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I did hear about um, some people who thought supplementing with like 10 grams per day was a good idea. And uh, I think recent studies have shown that something that high is not beneficial.
0: Well, the other thing about vitamin C, right, is it is a water-soluble vitamin. So at some point, it's going to be like once you hit a limit, it's going to flush flush
1: itself out. And I, I guess the paper is suggesting the limit somewhere in the 250 to 1,000 milligrams.
0: I think that's, yeah, reasonable. So, Um, Okay, so zinc uh, might not improve, might not uh, reduce your risk of upper respiratory infections, but it may help treat them. So I think that's, I've, I've seen that elsewhere, right? Like it may shorten the duration.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of studies and the idea is I have the sniffles today and I can't attribute it to allergies. Let me take a Zip. A mm-hmm. zinc supplement and um it's what it de- it decreases the average uh, number of days to feeling better by like one and a half or something
0: yeah and it's you know you have to do it in the first 24 hours for it to have its effect it's okay. not like oh I'll wait till tomorrow like if you're in that case that you described then probably take go take that zinc mm-hmm. and you know if it's going to have an effect
1: but taking it every day you're saying there's less evidence right, right.
0: it's not right. a preventative it's a it's a treatment not a prevention um glutamine. uh maybe.
1: You've been talking about glutamine a lot, I think.
0: I this is like a this started many, many years ago. I mean, like in college I started researching. It was just uh it was like a research paper I needed to do for one of my classes. And so okay. I happened to research it and it's like, oh it's kind of an interesting supplement. Yeah, maybe that does work. Um it's still I think it's still a maybe. Um, so it's an amino acid it is an amino acid it's one of the most common amino acids
1: okay and what is how does it help us
0: uh so it's it's one of the most important for protein synthesis i may be mistaken this but i I believe that's the the answer and so you'll see it used uh, in a medical setting like people who are recovering from severe burns uh, they often supplement with let's say on the order of 40 milligrams 40 grams of glutamine a day uh, whereas the athletic protocols are more like five grams before five grams before and after exercise. Um, so in, in those populations that are very compromised, like the burn patients, they, they have tremendous effect from glutamine supplementation. So then it was, it's extrapolated into the athletic population.
1: Does it have to do with, this is an immune benefit, not a, a like a growth of muscles or growth of, um, right. And in, the, in this, system. in this case, okay.
0: For, from the athletic population, um, I think in the ill population, it's more of a tissue recovery or tissue healing process. Okay. And so this is like, it's limited evidence for preventing upper respiratory, upper respiratory tract infections in endurance athletes is what that's looking at. i caffeine's on here. I didn't actually read this, read this far, but um, apparently it helps some of the immune cell function. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Another, another reason to supplement with caffeine.
1: Caffeine has a lot of uh, generic, like, uh, decrease in all-cause mortality and a lot of just um, general health benefits.
0: Yeah, and, I, you know, I think that's one of those things is, well, was it the caffeine or was it what you had the caffeine with, right? Like, do, it, do tea and coffee have other substances in them? Um, yes, caffeine is one of them, but uh, some other things in them that are also facilitating that.
1: Yeah, so our... I, I would like to talk about some like herbal supplements if you're, I, do you have more?
0: Um... um, so speaking of herbal supplements, um, I do have Echinacea on here for the, uh, I
1: don't know that one.
0: So it's, it's one that had some pretty early traction, uh, as far as immune effects in humans. Um, they did a few more studies that were bigger and better and it's less so. Um, that it has it doesn't have really an effect. So, what is agnesia? It's a flower that's then okay. crushed down and then you know in, ingested
1: in uh, pill form.
0: Yeah, in pill form okay. exactly. Um, so, in, it had some early evidence, but the more recent evidence has said yeah, maybe not. Maybe a little optimistic on that one as far as improving uh, the immune immune function. But I think there there was a time maybe ten years ago where it was like a super popular supplement for people to take. Um, if they are getting sick, right? Like with the zinc, lot you know, zinc lozenges. Like, oh, echinacea would be the natural counterpart to that. Hmm. You want to, you want you want to take a, a diversion. I was just going to go into some some things for muscle recovery, but we can take a little diversion.
1: Sure. So down to the other one that herbs. pops into my head is like turmeric or curcumin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, like curcumin has been shown to reduce inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. And I think that even is loaded. Like what you know, inflammation in the body. Um, there, are, there are some studies that suggest that you know, inflammation is good for recovery. You need the inflammation in order to tell your body it, to fix something. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a facilitator of the recovery process.
1: So um, there, you know, there there are different. Ideas and the scientific community hasn't really agreed yet, but there are these ideas that something like turmeric or curcumin forces your body to ramp up its own immune response to the inflammation. Uh, It basically causes extra inflammation, and then your body goes, "Oh, we need to fix all of it."
0: So here's the the mechanistic explanation from the IOC paper. Okay, which is decreases inflammatory cytokines and or indirect markers of muscle damage with anti-inflammatory supplements such as curcumin. That's the statement they use. Okay. So
1: you're going to have to, I'm not quite that technical.
0: So cytokines are substances that are associated with inflammation. Um, so, okay. So it decreases those, which would be the thought as well. You've decreased one of the components of the inflammatory process, therefore, there's less likely to be inflammation. And the second part of that statement is indirect markers of muscle damage. So, you, know, you had some tissue damage, and so now you supplemented with turmeric curcumin, and we don't see those markers anymore in your blood. We see less of them. Mm. So, I don't think that says that you didn't create muscle damage, right? Like, I don't think that's the appropriate interpretation somewhere along the line either you, you you interrupted some step and what does that mean is that you know it may just mean you're less likely to have muscle soreness right you you stop some chemical from being formed that makes your muscles more sore so is that actually useful for you i don't know maybe i guess if you're less sore you push hard the next day mm-hmm. but then what does that mean in terms of your long-term recovery and your progression Like, I don't know. I think soreness is sometimes kind of good, right? To tell us that we worked hard and that we should maybe take a recovery
1: day. So I I think it's a tough, it's a tough thing to balance. Sure. There's a lot of, um, these like natural food, herbal supplements, um, like ginger, garlic also Mm -hmm. uh, fall in the same category as turmeric. And it's hard to say, I don't think there are a lot of studies on, you know, we supplemented with turmeric. So I
0: want to say I've seen one on ginger after like for again muscle soreness and marathon runners if i'm not mistaken and like oh yeah less less soreness it's very subjective mm-hmm. um and i forget i forget if there's cellular mechanisms mentioned there there may there may have been um i guess i have to dig it up now so yeah it's out there but then do you just care about how sore you are the day after an event or do you care about something chronic and like i, I, I totally get it, right like i I did a, a long century, or I did a marathon. That was like the event I was training for. I don't want to be as miserable the next day. Like, okay, that's cool. Take take the thing. But does that affect your day to day training?
1: I don't know. Yeah, like the chronic intake throughout training. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have as much information on that, so it's hard to know. Uh, I mean, some people say, yeah. I guess it's all just personal opinion. And um, if it if it makes you feel better, makes you go harder, then you know maybe you should do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's the, you know, first do no harm, right? Okay, so long as this thing is safe or reasonably safe and isn't going to cause you any harm, if ingesting it makes you feel better or makes you think that you're going faster or makes you feel that going the same pace is easier, then I guess why not?
1: Sure. And I think the other thing that's interesting about herbal supplements is the the effect of – Like, I don't have a generic name for this, but um, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Like, if you take curcumin and you also have black pepper with it, your absorption rate of the curcumin is much higher. Uh, And if you have turmeric as a whole, although curcumin is the main... active ingredient. Yeah, the the active ingredient. If you have turmeric as a whole, it's more effective at anti-inflammatory measures. So... With um, herbal stuff, it's uh, it's almost better to have the whole plant mm-hmm. than it is to try and extract this one molecule that you think. So this is very opposed to micronutrients, which are you know I only want the micronutrient. I don't want to blend. I don't you know want this special thing. Like I just want to supplement with you know the vitamin D. With herbal stuff, there may be some reason to believe that ingesting, um, an entire, you know, the entire root or the mm-hmm. entire leaf or the entire plant is better than trying to extract this active ingredient.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of little compounds in there in the, the whole plant that, you know, may be facilitators, maybe, uh, you know, have enzymatic properties that facilitate the action of curfumin or some other, you know, key molecule, that make the effect, uh, more pronounced than we can, than we can actually understand like, um, a very, a very simple way to think about this just as an analogy that I read was, all right, well, what has more chemicals in it? The, the flavoring of an apple candy or an apple, hands down an apple. There's so many different chemical compounds that make the flavor of an apple on your tongue. And when somebody, You know, and there's, there's whole food science labs, right. That go through and figure out like, okay, it's this combination of, I want to say it's probably four or five different chemicals that make apple taste that go like say into a a Jolly Rancher or something or some, or food that is an artificial flavor, right. It's like four or five chemicals or six or so that um, make you think that you're tasting this, this natural thing. But the natural thing, Oh, the number of chemicals, you know, hands down is way, way more. And like, it would be, it's, you know, we don't know all those interactions. Uh, it would be very hard for us to study all those things that are happening when all those things get into our body in that right combination.
1: Yeah. And, um, I, w- I was even told the coloring on a lot of vegetables is, are the, these compounds, these micronutrients. So that's why they always say, uh, eat, eat bright colored fruits and vegetables. And it's because the color is the, the good compounds that we know our body responds well to.
0: Yeah. So beta carotene, the you know, vitamin A that's in carrots and spinach it is very, very orange. Uh, mm. That's one of the things I did in organic chemistry lab back in college. Is like we had to extract beta carotene out of spinach. And spinach is very green, but when you extract the beta carotene, it is very, very orange. Like almost shocking. It's almost it's almost a little shocking that this orange substance came out of this green leaf.
1: Well, it just shows you how green the chlorophyll is. Huh? Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, but yeah, to, to your point, I was like, whoa, these compounds are super potent. Yeah. Um, or like like a beet, right if you ever cut a beet, like it you know it looks like a murder scene on the knife right <laughs> if you don't clean it's like wow that that pigment is very bright it's very potent or a blueberry right all those things are, are very potent and very bright
1: so the other thing about uh herbal supplements or you know maybe food as a supplement i know in the last podcast we said um, food isn't really a supplement the if you have a meal that you feel like so good the next day after having you know X thing for dinner. It could be the right combination of these sort of herbal sub uh, herbal supplements or compounds that all work together with your body really well and or it could be placebo. but don't stop doing it. It's definitely a good idea. if the food or the supplement makes you feel good, it's probably you know you're on the right track.
0: Yeah, I so so true. I definitely have things that i I go to for that for that reason like whatever maybe it's placebo that's okay uh, that work, that works for me too um, but you know at the end of the day when you if you look back and I, I say okay well I'm a little bit critical about what's the nutrient content there like that's pretty solid that was a pretty solid meal all around like it, it hit a lot of the bases so I can't be too far off on that
1: yeah and I th- I think of a lot of the meals that are like that was a really solid meal they're also quite bright. So just mm-hmm. putting those dots together
0: for sure, for sure. I think that's, that's important.
1: So uh, let's talk about the last section in the paper Come, coming back from our divergence.
0: All right. Well, so we were just talking about um, sort of immune, immune and indirect function here. Um, so here are just some, uh, some other um, things that may impact your uh, training capacity. So we talked about creatine already. Uh, which is you know, improving your ability to do these short efforts. So particularly your sprint training or your um, perhaps your uh, resistance training in the off-season. Um, that, that may be beneficial with creatine there. Um, so then a couple other things. Um, so omega-3s, uh, this is coming up again. Um, they mention you know one, improved cognitive processing, um, possibly improving recovery from concussion. Um, which is also a, an effect creatine may have, um, and then uh, improve muscle protein synthesis with higher omega threes. And this is a you know like moderate evidence for some of these things. But you okay, improve muscle protein synthesis. I think that's obvious. Enhanced recovery, right? You're doing resistance training. You're doing your efforts. You're going to get your you know, your recovery is going to be faster in theory by supplementing with omega threes.
1: Mm-hmm. I right, so in um michael hutchinson's book there's uh two different michael hutchinson's who are in the fitness community so it's a bit ambiguous this is the british time trialist mm-hmm. it, he his book faster he says he has a chapter on supplements and the only one that he really recommends is um omega-3 fish oil supplements mm-hmm. and he says the rest are eh. but i really like you know i really think fish oil is the real deal and you know, we presented a few others that we think are a real deal, but um, for a uh, an elite athlete who seemed really quite knowledgeable on the topic to endorse um, just one specific supplement, um, it should be a big, uh, big indicator.
0: And it's not a massive amount either. This this study is uh, saying two grams a day. That's that's really not that's not much. Not going to break the bank on that.
1: Right, but uh, make sure you get good uh, fish oil. Yeah,
0: good quality, uh, and or you know, eat it in food.
1: Yeah, or if you um, can. It doesn't have to be fish oil. There's other ways. Yeah, to it.
0: Flax oil yeah, flaxseed oil can get, can get you there too. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, gelatin and vitamin C. So together. Yep. Yeah. Uh, gel- gelatin slash collagen. I think is a newer one. I mean, it's not. I mean, some of these studies are all as old as 2008. But I think it's less less common than some of the. It's like creatine. Everybody's heard about, and it's been around for years. Whereas uh, I think collagen is a newer, a newer one in the research. Um, interesting results. So, so your um, gelatin idea is, one, it's going to increase collagen production. Um, two, it may lead to thicker cartilage and it may reduce joint pain. Uh, so th- these all like sound like pretty good things. Um, so
1: collagen is what your tendons are made of. Uh,
0: you have collagen. You have different types of collagen fibers throughout your body. It's in your okay. skin. It's in your tendons. Uh, you know. It's also so those are those are places we really think of it. Uh, some of the early research around gelatin that I read was specifically on how it impacted tendon healing from uh, tendinopathies. So you get tendinitis, tendinosis, and then um, it's a very interesting protocol of sort of specific exercise to target the tendon and then supplementing with the gelatin on top of that to mm-hmm. facilitate the recovery. So, um, that's certainly out there. Um, interesting that it would, you know, improve cartilage, uh, cartilage is like, I think one of these things that we for a while thought was sort of an unchangeable. It's like you, you had it and you wore it down and it was hard. It didn't certainly the rate of growth is slow. Um, and so this may be changing that a little bit. Um, yeah. And Hey, Reduced, you know, improved injury recovery. So all all good.
1: And what's the dosage amount? I, I'm under the impression it's pretty large.
0: So for gelatin, it's between five and fifteen grams with fifty milligrams of vitamin C, which is a pretty small amount of vitamin C. Hmm. Right. It's like, you know, your orange like a cup of orange juice would get you there pretty easily. Yeah. Um so yeah, of course that's uh, you know, not gonna work if you're vegan. Because yeah, it's a, a beef byproduct.
1: Oh, they, it's derived from beef. Yeah. Yep.
0: Um, and then the other thing we already talked about was uh, curcumin indirectly um, as an anti-inflammatory to indirectly uh, like reduce your on uh, delayed onset muscle soreness and thus inc- increase performance that way.
1: Sure. So, so um, I just uh, thought of a few things in terms of practical... Um, so we didn't talk about the fact that um, iron is better absorbed with vitamin C. Yep. And also iron interacts with most other supplements. Yep. So... And... And food and... And coffee
0: food. impairs yeah. its... And dairy and will impair it so, to a certain extent. Yeah.
1: When you read the literature on iron supplementation, it's, you know, don't eat uh, two hours... An hour before or an hour after something like yep. that. And um, so... I'm just you know hoping to share my experiences with supplementation, um, especially when I was really focusing on it uh, last preseason. And for iron, I would actually take um, just like 65 milligrams, just typical iron dose, and 200 milligrams of vitamin C. Mm-hmm. And I would take it when I would get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night.
0: That's that's some dedication. That's like weightlifter dedication to protein
1: shake, but not because. Well, mostly because then I could sleep for another two hours and not worry about any yep, food. No, interaction. no interactions. Yeah. yeah. And um, if I didn't end up waking up, I would just take it when I got up and wait an hour before I started to eat. Um, but that seemed to be um, pretty effective. And I think that, that was the first time I supplemented with iron and I did get uh, quite a bit faster. And so there's a little bit of me that says, yeah, I think iron supplementation is a really important.
0: Now, did you, did you ever do any blood tests to confirm one way or another? Just as curiosity, I'm not going to judge you.
1: Um, no, I mean, my, um, my hematocrit was up a little bit over, I've I've only had three blood tests and two of them were the same hematocrit and then Mm -hmm. the third one was a little bit higher. Um, so maybe, but, uh, no, it's, it's too hard to tell. And also, uh, who wants to, to, um draw blood in the middle of the season when that stuff is uh, so valuable to your uh, body. If only Theranos were still around and had a functional product. Yeah. (laughs) So um, what other tips did I have? Uh, You do have to look at some of the interactions between the supplements. Um, And it's not hard to, the way I would look at that is maybe a little less, um, (laughs) a little less scientific, but you know, just calcium you know supplement interactions and mm-hmm. you know there's all kinds of pages of recommendations on things to eat or not eat. And uh, so if you are serious about one particular um, supplement or you are going to take supplements, you should look at the interaction list and I ended up having like a breakfast and uh, after ride and an evening uh, schedule because I was able to clump the supplements into three groups of not mm-hmm. interacting and uh, something like fish oil should be timed to after your workout. So that would be in the after workout group. And then other ones that were just uh, like avoiding deficiencies were like evening. Mm -hmm. So, and the only other one that was not mentioned in the article that I wanted to talk about is magnesium. And uh, Todd, you mentioned you're also a bit of a magnesium fan. Um, I guess this was off air, but um, I think that, I mean, at the end of the day, magnesium is an electrolyte as well. And, Mm If, if you are an endurance athlete and you do sweat, which I think you do, I hope
0: you do, because otherwise <laughs> you're going to overheat,
1: you're, you're losing magnesium every time you sweat. And, uh, there's not actually that many foods that have magnesium in them. And most of the foods that do have it in a lower quantity than we want. And this goes back to the, you know, you would have to eat 18 bags of spinach to get your magnesium levels and uh, there, this is a bit more out, out of the, um, white paper scientific community, but there's a lot of, uh, speculation about, um, uh, a lot of people are low on magnesium levels. And the reason that it's hard to know for sure is because it's actually difficult to measure the magnesium levels in people because so little is stored in the blood. Right. Yeah.
0: It's all stored in bone and very little circulates.
1: Yeah, so, so when you draw blood, whatever magnesium value you get, it, it doesn't really mean anything uh, in terms of the magnesium in your bones. So there there are some ideas that a lot of people are deficient in magnesium. And as a cyclist who sweats a lot, we're likely to be a candidate for that group. And um, yeah, so I think you know the, the background there suggests maybe magnesium could be useful for a cyclist. And I, I've had good experiences with it.
0: And so the other thing I would say about magnesium is that when you look at muscles contracting and relaxing, uh, magnesium is one of the key molecules that happens in that interaction uh, that needs to be present for that cycle to occur. And so, you know, when I think about that's how I think about it is like, well, I'm asking my muscles to contract and relax a lot. So I need to make sure that they have adequate substrate, adequate magnesium and calcium uh, and carbohydrate, of course, to fuel that interaction, but also to facilitate that interaction from a, a chemistry standpoint and you know, sending the signals that need to be sent to cause the contractions to get me going down the road. So that, that's how I think about it. It's like, well, I, I want to make sure I have that so it's, it's ready and on mm-hmm. tap.
1: And the only other cool thing, here's my <laughs> trivia fact for the day, is um, the green color in chlorophyll um is the the molecule it has a magnesium um, atom at the center so uh, when you do eat these dark um, green leafy vegetables you get a um, you know a fair amount of magnesium and so you know some of these uh pro vegetable people say you know the the reason they feel so good is because they're getting rid of their magnesium deficiency with all these green vegetables that they eat so um Not exactly a white paper, but um, maybe something to explore.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the other thing one of my nutrition professors used to say was like, well, you know, if you're having trouble in your, you know, your athletic performance, it's probably not, you probably didn't get to a nutrient deficit in a day, right? You probably had something going on. You you know, you weren't doing something right in your diet for a while. And now it's cropping up in your sports performance. So, you know, his, his point really was you need to eat a solid balanced diet, you know, colorful vegetables and fruits on your plate every day. If you expect to perform at your best, not just like, Oh, well, I'm going to do this three days before my big race, because you know, it's going to make, it's like, no, no, no. You need to be doing it all the time to make sure that your magnesium stores and calcium, all these nutrients are, are stocked up and ready for you in your training and for your race day.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's also generically, um, if you're not doing within 5% of your goal, you know, value for your race day, you're not going to pull it out on race day. Right. That's right. Training is, and and growth is the accumulation of slow increases. And part of that is supplementing so that you can continuously train and and grow just a little bit every day until you're where you want to be.
0: Yep. Absolutely.
1: So uh, I guess that wraps up our episode. Uh, Hopefully you got a few new uh, supplements to investigate and potentially try out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those things is, you know, do do your research, right? I mean, certainly um, there are these white papers that you can look through and there's abundant research out there on a lot of them and check, you know, I think the thing I always check uh, before I take a supplement is you can find uh, what the uh, upper the upper recommended intakes are and the, the upper tolerances. And I always check that against any supplement I'm taking. I right? just mean like, yeah, is this in line with like, is this what's like, what's the toxic level of this thing? And I, I want to be, you know, beneath that, yeah. <laughs> well, safely beneath that, right? Because yeah. I'm also assuming that I'm getting some of that, sup- that uh, nutrient in my food as well.
1: And the only other thing I would say is if you if you are looking for someone to buy supplements from, you should uh, go with somebody who's been around for a while and, you know, doesn't have a lot of negative news about them. And, uh, there are some supplement companies that pop up and um, go away pretty quickly or, you know, we're the brand new thing and no, you should probably just buy from this one that's been around for 40 years and is just like a solid, you know, company. Yeah, don't, I think you don't need the, the latest fad and um, supplements.
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh, a mineral is a mineral.
1: Right. So, uh, yeah, that's our episode. Um, if uh, if you liked listening to it or um, you enjoyed what you heard, like, feel free to share with your friends. Give us a review and uh, tell us what you think. We always like to get uh, feedback.
0: Yeah. And, and thanks for listening. And as we always say, keep the rubber side down.